This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist of Mississippi Today. Oh, my next guest is a man who, well, he's not afraid to roll up his sleeves and dive into the trenches for a good cause. And what better cause to represent than the mission of providing public broadcasting to the masses and underserved communities? So fast forward from his work as a photojournalist and producer in Fort Smith, Arkansas, to today as the executive director of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Royal Ailes is here to discuss his outstanding career in broadcasting, hailing from Arkansas and Oklahoma, and his not chosen first mantra. And we'll touch on that in just a second. And I tell you what, folks, um, another round of storms rolled through Mississippi last night. I'm starting to feel like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day, man. I'm slapping that, you know, I got you alarm clock every morning at six. Power outages all across. Clarksdale got hit hard. Starkville got hit hard. The Gulf Coast got hit hard. Jackson metro area once again. I mean, literally around 1030 last night, it was like a hurricane blowing through my neighborhood and probably yours too. And uh, I hope you have power and I hope you're listening, of course, and you are listening. Uh, appreciate you doing that. But before we get started with the show, I just want a big, big, huge shout out to all the men and women who are out working really hard right now all across the state of Mississippi and have been working all through the month of June uh, to get our power back on. The linemen are just total heroes. Uh, they've missed Father's Day. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's daughter's husband is a lineman he has not been home in over a week and a half he's just been out there getting it done and you know uh we did discover that after katrina here in the state that without electricity we do not have a civilization uh very things get pretty dicey pretty quick i know in my house we were out like 37 hours last week and uh it got a little warm around there and a little testy and so Needless to say, um, we probably don't say thank you enough here uh, sometimes on the show, and I just wanted to throw that out there that we are very grateful for all the hard work you're doing. I know Energy has had their hands full uh, just talking with a couple folks over there, and they just said, you know, you look at the map, and it's like all the little red lines are spelling out, help me, you know, because it's just been that chaotic. And, you know, it's been unusual. I mean, I've seen uh, a lot of storms come through Mississippi, but I don't remember us getting the kind of thunderstorms we've had. Uh, Royal, I will say, you coming from Oklahoma, you know a thing or two about storms. And I, yeah. I, yeah. I actually, you know, of course, was uh, offered a job in Tulsa. We almost met probably 10 years ago and didn't know it. But uh, I went through the airport and they were selling pet tornadoes in the gift shop. And I was like, mm, that's not a Chamber of Commerce moment. But you're no stranger to this kind of weather, so you know a little bit about it. Well, growing up, um, where we grew up, grew up in uh, Delaware County, right there on the Arkansas line, we lost our family farm to a tornado. Oh, no kidding. We wow. had seven chicken houses. We were chicken farmers. We had seven broiler houses. We raised over 100,000 birds every nine weeks. And my dad, through the kitchen window, watched that whole thing go away in a wind as the tornado came through that evening and destroyed everything. So, um, yeah, tornadoes are not familiar to me. I mean, are unfamiliar to me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's theater for us because we know pretty much where they're going to go in Oklahoma. There's certain pathways in Oklahoma where they're going to hit. Yeah. More Oklahoma. They always seem to hit that town. 
Um, but it's theater for, you know, for us, unfortunately, for a lot of ways. But it's no fun, that's for sure. The, the aftermath is what really is devastating. It's hard to pick up the pieces. It's yeah. hard because Tulsa's been hit a dozen times through the years, and you see the communities just get leveled or devastated, and it's just hard to go out there and – you got to help the folks, uh, but as a journalist, you can't really help. You got to tell their story, but right. it's just a different phenomenon. I mean, unless you've lived it, you really don't. You have you cannot compare your life to somebody who's living it if you've never lived it. That's right. That's right. And it's it's hard. I just cannot. I was sitting here trying to put myself in your dad's shoes, literally looking out the window, watching his livelihood be blown to Oz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mean, that's, that's I so, slept through it. Don't yeah. remember it till the next morning. Then I saw the devastation. And Dad, he said he just watched the tornado take it all down. You know, and I was thinking about, like, you went to John Brown University. Mm-hmm. That's up up above Fayetteville, uh, kind of in the corner of Arkansas. So you, you kind of grew up and went to school and had a big career, all kind of in the Ozarks, Cherokee Nation area of, right. of, of between Missouri. Love my Ozarks. Yeah. Love my Ozarks. Gorgeous. Like the Smokies, just a little shorter. Uh, right. <laughs> I've got a very good— yeah, They're fr- not mountains. No, they're, they're, they're hills. <laughs> they're big hills. I've got a friend who lives in Mountain Home on the Buffalo River, oh, yeah. White River. Gosh, gorgeous. Yeah, they're just beautiful. beautiful part of the mm-hmm. world on that. Great um, fishing. Yeah. The people, though, are good people. And it's the same kind of thing. It's here, and we discovered that really after Katrina, that when things get bad, we get good, right? We had mm-hmm. this chainsaws and casseroles thing that I always talk about that as soon as the wind stopped blowing, there literally was a church van in your front yard that right. would cut the tree off your house and feed you and that kind of thing. And, I mean, that, there's something comforting about that. Only in America, right? Exactly. We, exactly. Help our, we, help, we may disagree, but that when it comes to disaster— we're all rolling up our sleeves to help our neighbor. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, you know, as mentioned, the linemen, we've seen that, too. And, of course, it's their job, but that's also their passion as well. I'm starting to think, you know, you grew up on a farm mm-hmm. and so forth. When you were a kid, did you have any idea that you would go into journalism? Oh, yeah, since the fourth grade. Fourth grade. I knew in the fourth grade I was going to be – I wanted to be in TV. I just didn't know what to do or how to get there. I would stand up in uh, in where we lived. We would get – Joplin Television, Tulsa Television, yeah. Fort Smith Television. And so you got you got all these over-the-air TV stations that would be floating into your your little 12-inch screen that you had in your in your room and you would watch the news on all of them go by and there were three guys who were instrumental in my decision to uh to be in TV and that was the anchors on the Channel 8 in Tulsa, because yeah. they had the strongest signal at the time. And James C. Lake owned it, and he was a wild man, a crazy one of those owners that was just, you know, loony. But uh, Bob Howard was the male anchor. Beth Ringel was the female anchor, who I am friends with to this day. Love her daughter. Hired her daughter for the stuff I did with RSU Public TV. Uh, Chris Lincoln was the uh, sports anchor who worked for ABC Sports. Did all the horse tra- uh, horse racing stuff back in the 90s and 2000s for ESPN. And then uh, the weather guy was a little, little short guy, about 5'6", called Don Woods. And he was a cartoonist as well called – he drew Gusty, which is in the Smithsonian. And every kid – he would have a drawing every night to give that night's Gusty to some kid. Never got one. But I would draw Gusty on the chalkboard and do my own version of the weather. <laughs> From the fourth grade on. So I knew I wanted to be in that box. I just did not know how to get there. Now, if you need a cartoon, I know a guy. (laughs) I can can probably knock you out of Gusty. I can probably do that. But, yeah, I I completely understand because I remember eight walking up to my dad saying, I want to be a cartoonist. So I was like that. But 
you had dreams, mm-hmm. but you were able to somehow make it happen. Well, I didn't know what the dream was, right. really. I just knew I wanted in that box. I yeah. wasn't these kids who grew up listening to play-by-play announcers and the radio and knew that they wanted to have that golden yeah. voice. I don't have that. My dad was a musician. He played for uh, Jimmy Dean, the sausage maker. My uncle played for Bob Wills. So music was always in the house, but I'm no musician. Not the gift went, <laughs> skipped a generation, yeah. skipped me big time. Uh, so it, it never, never dawned on me would I be in the entertainment world. Um, I just knew I wanted in that box because that had my attention. You know, kids would come home and read books and know that they want to be writers. Not my thing. I was glued to the TV. I'm a visual person. Yeah. And I knew that on, but I didn't know how to manage that. I just wanted to be in that box. But what am I going to do? And so when I went to college uh, at John Brown, they had broadcasting as a degree. And I thought, okay, I found my start. I'm going to go do this. And I went there. And they had a really, at the time, they had a really good broadcasting school. But they never put a camera in your hand. It was always about teaching you how to be the anchor and how to be the reporter. And that, okay, that's okay, but that's not, I don't know if that's where I want to land my ship. I need to know all there is to know about it. Do I need to be behind the scenes? What do I need to do? And um, I got lucky because my senior year came along and I knew, okay, I want to go into TV. I got to go get a job. What am I going to do? I guess I'll go into news. Uh, am I going to be a talent? Mm, I don't think so. But I let me learn how to take the camera and start using the camera. So I, I, that whole year I went out and started learning how to tell a story. I would copy what I would see on TV, what I'd see in Joplin, what I'd yeah. see in Fort Smith, and what I'd see in Tulsa. i just copy what they were doing. And I, and I got pretty good at copying. Wasn't a great writer, but I learned how to visually tell the story. And my first job right out of college was down in Fort Smith as the chief photographer. <laughs> Like, how'd you hire me as chief? But, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Timing is everything. I walked in at the right time to get the job. And and um, they at first they said no because I went to Fort Smith. I went to Joplin. I didn't go to Tulsa because I knew that was too big. But uh, I went to those two markets and thinking, well, maybe I need to go uh, further south or somewhere else to see if I can land a job. And... Craig Cannon at the 4029 calls me up and says, hey, we're going to make a change over here. You want this job? Start Monday morning. Well, I graduate Saturday. Start Monday morning. I don't really care how you get here. Get down here. Yes, sir. And I started that next Monday, not knowing how to put the cameras and all. Because back then, we didn't have one camera with the tape in the machine on your shoulder. We had a camera and then a, a tape recorder strapped to another harness around your around your shoulder. I mean, there were two, sometimes three different pieces of components. I had no idea how to put that stuff together. I, they were very patient and kind with me because I made so many mistakes. But I was there every morning. I showed up with a tie. Photogs don't show up in ties. I didn't know how to, what I was doing. But uh, they were so blessing. He was such a blessing to me. He gave me a lot of Grace, and he knew yeah. that I was not doing well the first month or two. He said, "You just got to learn, keep your head down, and plow through your head, and you'll learn this thing." And, and I did. And amazing when you when you have people like that in your career path along the way that just you can look backwards now and say, "Okay, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't." If he for wasn't him. gracious to me, yeah, um, he could have let me go because I made a lot of mistakes because um, I didn't know how to pack the gear into cars because. 
like today, back then, reporters were their own photographers most of the time. Yeah. Um, they didn't call them MMJs like they do today. And it's funny how the world's gone full circle on that. Yeah. Same way with, yeah, with the yeah, print in media. Yeah, small too. market, yeah, 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 yeah. You get to the bigger markets, you're the photog for, you know, one reporter gets a photog. Not today. Right. But um, anyway, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes and didn't pack certain things in the gear that they needed. Oh, that cable's not here. I can't do this shoot now. Um, cause I forgot to pack a cable that connects the recorder to the camera and things like that. Lights. I didn't pack lights cause back then you had to have these big Fred's lights that sat on top of the camera to, in order to go into a dark space. So I, there's a lot of things I had to learn. So it was, it was gracious that Craig was instrumental. Now Craig knows, has no clue how instrumental he was in my life. He was just a news director, anchor, you know, he was busy fulfilling his goal to be the personality and, but he was very gracious to me, and I'll never forget that. It sounds like um, if you were to sit down and write a book on how to succeed, number one, show up on time. Number two, when you make mistakes, you know, try to make up for it mm-hmm. and always wear a tie. <laughs> I wore slacks and a tie, and I'm a photog. Yeah. I'm thinking, I had to learn when I got when I, nine months in Fort Smith, I got to Tulsa, and I learned quickly you don't show up in a tie and slacks as a photog. Okay. Yeah, I, I tried that as a cartoonist too, and they thought I was weird, so I kind of gave that up a yeah. few years ago. On that. I knew I wasn't geared to be on the camera because there was a news story in Fort Smith that occurred and and I was the only one out there because I was the photog and they wanted to put me on the, you know, on the set with the anchor to talk through it. And I thought, how do I do that? Yeah. I hadn't done that yet. So I didn't do that well. And I realized that's not my forte. My forte is behind the scenes. So I had to start, I learned then that I need to be behind. So I just started gravitating that way. Yeah, talk about that that process. Who were the people that you learned from to learn the skill set that you use today? Other photogs. Other photogs? I'm not an originator of anything, but I'll steal everything. Yeah. I steal everything. Uh, when I got to Tulsa, I got, how I got to Tulsa had to be no other reason than a God thing. Um, I, sh- I, wasn't the fr- yeah. I wasn't their first choice. Right. Uh, but I proved to them I was the right choice. That seems to be a, th- a theme. For me, it you. is. Yeah, it really is. And, P- yeah. and I use that theme with people I hire. Yeah, I, I have hired people who were not their first. Was not my first choice, but they proved to be the right choice. How did they prove it to you? By fulfilling the role, owning the space that they work in, yeah. um, run it like they own it. Yeah, um, fulfilling the the actual space that they're in. I walk around here every day and I tell my managers, "You need to own the space you're in. Right. Own it like you run it like you own it. Your life livelihood depends on that. Run it like that." And then that, to me, tells me that you may not have been my first choice for that hire if I hired you, but you're going to become the right choice. And that's more important than being the first choice. It's like kids in, in, in uh, Little League Baseball. Kids get upset they don't start. And when I coached um, American Legion Baseball for 10 years, I would tell them, it doesn't matter whether you start. Be on the ninth inning when the game is on the line and you want to be that star. Give me the ball, coach, and let me run it. That's the guy you want to be, not starting the first inning. That's right. So you want to have the ball, you want the ball, because you know you can run the ball and you can own it. And that's what I really try to manage with my people and teach them is be the not the first choice, be the right choice. How'd you end up as a baseball coach? I played baseball through high school and I loved it. it what was position? Catcher. Because mm-hmm. I was in charge. The field was mine. Yeah. And I told players what to do. I told the pitchers what to do. I owned it. Yeah. I always have. That comes from my mom. I've always owned it. Um, 
So I played baseball, went to John Brown to, to try and play baseball. Then they killed the program. So I was stuck there, which was fine because I yeah. was going to do broadcasting. But after I got to Tulsa, I wanted to go into coaching a little bit with Little League. And my dad did it with me. Mm-hmm. I'm single. I don't have kids, but I want to do that. And so I ended up getting connected with American Legion there in Tulsa. And, and uh, I loved it. I did it for 10 years. Loved that. The only reason why I stopped, I got married. And she said, you're not going to do that every night. Oh, okay. Tell us a little bit about your wife. My wife is a great lady. Um, We met, you know, in the broadcast business, guys tend to date women they come across, you know, on a shoot, on a story or whatever. I always had a policy never to do that. I would see the other guys do it. And I just, no, I'm not going to be that guy, that guy. I had gone to ministry school thinking I was going to go be a pastor. I'd been at Channel 2 for 12 years, owned by Scripps, Howard, one of the big uh, ownerships in the country. And I thought I needed to take a new career path because I was done with, with what I thought the TV thing was done. I was thinking I needed to go to the pastoral side. I went to um, pastoral school, finished, and then I was waiting to get my shift back because in TV news, you're either working the day side for the five and six or you're working night side, which means you go in at two in the afternoon and work till 11 for the 10 o'clock. And I was put on the night side so I can go to classes during the day. And I was waiting to get shifted back. And one night for the 96 Olympics, there's a little company in Tulsa that made all of the, uni- all the, the uh, uniforms, the dress garb that for the what I call the grand entry the, the the night where they bring everybody in country by country and all the they do all the fancy dances and all mm-hmm. that stuff they made all of that cuz it was in Atlanta yeah they made every piece of clothing for that so they were going to have a watch party at the owner's home so when i get the assignment i'm thinking great this is going to be a long boring night nothing fun cuz for the 10 o'clock it's usually never fun anyway Okay, fine. So I go to the car, get my stuff loaded up, my camera and my lights, all that stuff, because you had to load up your car. And all of a sudden, in my heart, I felt like, you're going to meet your wife tonight. No way. Yeah. And I, and I don't, me and God don't walk, we don't talk like that. Right. right. I'm like, what? So I ignored it. And this is around, well, three in the afternoon. By the time I got to six o'clock, I was like, I, get me in this car and let's get going here. I want to go over and see if this is going to be true. So I get to the house and we're setting up and I'm, you know, when you're shooting a, a watch party, there's nothing to shoot but just people standing around. But while I'm getting video, people standing around eating hors d'oeuvres and whatever, I'm looking out of my left eye, who's got rings on and who doesn't have a ring on? <laughs> so I'm looking for that and there's two ladies there with no rings. Both of them really cute. As I'm walking back out to our live trucks, I got to edit some video and all that stuff. An old college friend of mine shows up out of the blue. And I thought, what are you doing here? She's, well, I know the owners. A small world. So the next day, I called my friend back. I said, hey, there were a couple ladies there who didn't have rings. And I described them to her. I said, any chance you can help me out, find out who they are? She goes, are you kidding me? I said, no, really. This is the first time I've ever been like this. I want to find out if this is true. She said, well, I'll call you back. So she called me back a couple hours later. She says, well, one of them's married. Rings were in the shop getting cleaned. The other one's single, mm-hmm. and her name is Karen. I thought, okay, all right. What do you want me to do now? I said, would you call and see if I could call her? Ask permission for me to call her. And she said, really? So I'm now going to be your intermediary <laughs> on this. And I said, yeah, yeah. Would you please find out if I can give her a call? 
So they did, and they said, well, you can call between these hours because she takes a late lunch. You can call. And I did. We talked on the phone for about 10 minutes. I said, well, let's meet for lunch. So figured out when her lunch period was, and because I was still on the night shift, I can I can have my f- lunches are free at that point. I was freed up till 2. So we went and had lunch. And it was from that moment on from lunch I knew I was hooked. And that's how we met. We got married six months later. Um, we have got three daughters. Been married 25 years. Going on our we'll celebrate in August our 26th year. Um, we it's been a it's been a ride. It's been a good ride. I got three wonderful daughters. I love them to death. Um, it's just been a lot of fun. And we like all marriages. We've had our challenges, like oh, sure. what they all go through. But at the end of the day, she was willing to move to Mississippi with me. So giddy up. That's awesome. You're listening to Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey, and we're with Executive Director Royal Else. Royal, you just told an amazing story about how you met your wife. I love that, how you had that God moment when you realized, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to meet my wife today. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing both of them didn't have the rings in the shop because that would have gotten awkward really fast. <laughs> yeah. you would There would have yeah. been lawyers involved and yeah. probably gunfire, and it would have been <laughs> ugly. But um, Wow, it's great. So you called her up. You've been married to her 25 years. You've got three amazing daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, total God moment. And, you know, you talk about choosing MPB in this decision and how, you know, you talk about sometimes it's not the first, you're not the first choice. And, um, you know, and I remember the the process of trying to find a replacement for Ronnie when he mm-hmm. left and mm-hmm. so forth. Karen played a big decision and God played a big decision on you coming here, didn't they? So... I'm not the first choice for this job, yeah. but I'm going to prove to be the right choice. Right. And it was a God moment to yeah. come here. Was not on our bucket list. No way. For the last 10 years, I've been running a little public TV station uh, in Tulsa. That's co- So give you a better scenario here. In public media, you're either owned by the state as a state agency, like MPB is, mm-hmm. or you are owned by a university. Uh, or you are community owned, which means five rich guys got together and created a nonprofit and they have applied for an educational license. And then they have to fundraise for everything they do. In a university setting, you get a, you get some budget from the university, but mm-hmm. not a lot. So you really have to rely on the CPB funding, Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and your fundraising. State agency, you get state funding. It's not a lot, but you get state funding and you have to go out and get additional funding. So last 10 years, I was running a small uh, public TV station in Tulsa. There's only two in Tulsa. There's a statewide called OETA, which is a lot, is exactly like MPB. And then there's a small station in Tulsa, which serves only the Tulsa market, but it's an independent public TV station. There's only 10 in the country. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. When they called me, I'd taken, I'd been in commercial TV, worked for OETA for seven years, but went back to commercial and got burned out and just got out of television for five years. And the university called me and said, would you like to come back to TV and run this little Mm -hmm. station? So I was making great money working for Cox, which is the kind of like a C Spire here, but making great money. But the wife said, I want you to go back because I want a happy husband. And yeah. your calling is in broadcasting, not sales. And so I went back and the president said, run this thing, fix it, or we get rid of it. It was that bad. Wow. So it took me you know, a long time to, to really change it, change the culture, change the mission of, the, of what the station was all about, and, and really 
grow the audience and grow the funding for it. So by the time I got to 10 years, we'd done all that. We were taking audience shares away from the statewide OETA. We were growing. I'd put a million dollars in the bank for a little TV, public TV station. That's, that's amazing. That's not yeah. that's not a PBS affiliate. You bet. Yeah. And we're doing. Every, we're kind of like Bartles and James. We had to earn our way into the homes of the viewership, and so we were really doing that. And then one day I get a call from Skip, who was the headhunter for this position uh, for MPB, and said, "Royal." I've known you for 10 years. Have you ever thought about moving? I said, yeah, I'd love to go to Dallas or Kansas City. Those are kind of on my wish list. He said, have you thought about Mississippi? No, (laughs) not on my bucket list. He said, do me a favor, go home and talk to your wife. Well, I knew that was going to be a no-brainer because I've had offered opportunities to go to San Diego before, and her attitude was, well, if you can commute, maybe you can go, but we're not ever leaving Tulsa. She never wanted to leave. That's her... We're born and raised. So I just knew I was going to live and die in Tulsa. So I went home, told her, or I called her on the phone. I said, Mississippi on a bucket list? No, no, it's not. Great. Uh, but you need to go ahead and send your resume in. What? Really? Hello, is this Karen Ailes I'm talking to? Yeah. I said, you never, you say no to every job opportunity I bring up. She goes, it. You need to send it in. What brought it on? She said, I don't want to live with you for the next 20 years. What if? <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. So I thought it would be a one and done. They'll never call me. So I sent it off to them and didn't hear back from them for a couple weeks thinking, okay, I, you know, they're not going to hire this, this guy from Tulsa. Then I get an email that they the board wants to meet me with on the Zoom call. Okay, not a problem. One and done. No big deal. I wasn't committing to it because I wasn't bought into it yet myself. So I did the Zoom call, and we all got along just great. All of us Southern boys just had a good time, talked about catfishing and all this other stuff. I thought I'd be one and done. Didn't hear back from them for a couple weeks, thinking they moved on. Then I got another call, said, uh, Royal, they want you to fly in. Well, at this point, I've got other projects I'm working on at the station, and I can't – you're, you're, you're coming at me at the wrong time. I really don't have the time to, to deal with this. So said so I said, Skip, I'm really not that committed to this. He said, where's your commitment level? About 40%. He said, well, then don't waste our time. Great. Not a problem. He said, but go home and talk to your wife. Okay, fine. So I went home. I called a family meeting, told everybody, here's, what we're, here's what's being presented to me. They want me to come in and meet with the board I really don't know I want to do this. I'm really not. I got two of these other things I got to get done here at this station. And to to their respect of my daughters, each one said, get a seat on the plane, fly into Jackson, and hear them out. Why? Because we don't want to live with you the next 20 years and what if. And I really got upset with them. I got mad. You're not listening to dear old dad. I'm busy doing this other thing. I'm still building my kingdom over here. You need to follow through with this. This, There's a reason something's going on. You need to follow through. So I reluctantly called back and said, okay, I'll fly in. Fly me in late. And then let me leave early. I don't want to be taken around town. Just get me in, get me out. So I came in, had breakfast with uh, the board chair and uh, Angela Ferez, who's our executive director of our foundation, one of her board members. We're having breakfast, and her board member leans over and says, Royal, why do you want to come to Mississippi? And I said, sir, I don't know that I do. He looked at me and said, what kind of answer is that? I said, well, it's an honest answer. Yeah. Secondly, I am going to interview you as hard as you're going to interview me because this has got to be a good fit. If it's not a good fit, then it's going to be bad for everybody. So I'm in a position where I can 
do that. I'm not looking for a right. job. Right. So if you want me, great. If I want you, great. Then we'll move on. But if not, we all leave, and I just made three new friends. I go to the board meeting. First question off out of the box was, what's your vision? I said, I don't know that I have one. What kind of answer is that? An honest one. When I applied, you asked me for my vision statement of who I am, what I do, and why I like to do what I do. I gave you all that in that document. That's who I am. If that lines up with you guys, great. We'll continue on this conversation. If it doesn't, I've made five more new friends. No harm, no foul for me. Right. And so they just started asking me, well, what is it you like to do? Now you're getting into my heart. And I just get excited about it because I love public media, how we can affect lives, change lives, help the kids in rural, rural parts of our state get educated and help be that gap filler for education. That's, boy, oh, you get me excited when I get to talk about that because that to me moves the needle. And so we ended our conversation. So I said, thank you. If you don't pick me, great. Nice to meet you guys. I go next door to do a tour of, the, of this building that we're in. And the, at the time, the HR director walked me around, and I'm meeting people. I'm on the two levels here, getting in, shaking a few hands, patting a few backs, getting to see this, the space and all of this. And as we get ready to leave, to go to the airport, that's when something hit in my heart, about like I did with Karen when, I, when he said, you're going to meet your wife. He said, I'm moving you to Jackson. And I thought, what was that? No, let's keep going. Before I opened that slide and that, that door out front, it hit me again. Yeah. So I just kind of put it off. So we get to the airport. I get checked in. I'm over there waiting at the gate. I get on the phone to tell the wife how it all went. And next thing I know, I'm crying like a three-year-old. Really? Wow. I get emotional when I think about it now. Because when it's a God thing, you know it. And this is a God thing. And I told the wife, I said, we're moving to Jackson. She said, I haven't offered you the job. She said, I said, they will. They're going to offer me the job. We're moving to Jackson. And she said, I told you, you big dummy. <laughs> well, number one, you've got an amazing family because they know you and they're honest with you and they were willing to, to get you and push you to get you here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you were honest with, with the board, you know, obviously saying, hey, look, I'm not going to lie to you, but when you talked about the mission, your 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 mission, your personal mission, mm -hmm. lined up exactly with what MPB's mm -hmm. mission has been for mm -hmm. so many years. That was the God moment mm -hmm. right there, because mm -hmm. because I mean, you were passionate about it, you were excited. I still believe in it. Yeah, I still love it. I'm still all about the mission. Yeah, and how we can affect kids, especially in the Delta. Yeah, I mean that to me is that's that's the 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 heart of what we do. Yeah. I mean, you go back to 1968 when Lyndon Johnson signed the, the bill into law that created public media and why an educational opportunities was part of that. Yeah. So and, it's all about that. And we've got such an amazing reach here, too, to be able to tell tell the stories of the state and be able to right. do it on, you know, from Memphis to Mobile. Right, right. Yeah. We have yeah, four states in one, really, here yeah. in Mississippi. Yeah. You all have an ocean. We don't have that in Arkansas or Oklahoma. And that is added value for me. Yeah. So th that's big, but it, they're, they're, it's another part of the state. Well, influential down there, but you got you got to help those kids who don't have access as just as much as you do the kids in the Delta. Yeah, and so everybody's equal who 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 doesn't have access, and then you also have opportunity to help grow the state economically. Economic development is a huge part of that. Where do we fit in there? Right. Which is one of the re original reasons why this place was created. When I, when I found the the actual filing for to become MPB or back then ETV, uh, I found the book in the, one of the offices in there and economic development and education are the two reasons for coming together to bring, to create 
this educational experience, this 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 whole thing to help Mississippians because they're going from agriculture to industry, and yeah. they needed help to get people ready for the industry. So you knew as soon as – and like I said, I had a very similar experience on my interviews. Um, I didn't – I got a call from a former editor who said – I was in San Diego. So and, – and my wife – did want to go to San Diego because we were in, we were in <laughs> that a cool place. Yeah, very nice. It was yeah. very nice. You yeah, know, it's, it's paradise. You know, we just I just gotten back from the beach. I got a phone call. Hey, would you like the job in Mississippi? I was like, no, no. Yeah. You know, but it was a Sam I am type situation where they kept after me and and I came out here and it was the most surreal interview I'd ever had. You know, because it was just weird in a lot of different ways. But I got back and Amy said, "What'd you think?" And I said, "It's the people." I fell in love with the people on that trip, and I've been for 27 years. I've, I, I haven't left. So every weekend, the wife and I get lost. We purposely go get lost. I was going to ask if you did that. If you we traveled. purposely go get lost, and we come back. We find our way back home. Yeah. The people is what makes this state what yeah. it is. And that, to me, is is golden. It's friend, Everyone's friendly. Everyone has a, a value system that we're your neighbor. Yeah. And when you grow up on a farm, that's how you live your life is everybody's your neighbor. You can trust everybody. I mean, this this community, these communities of Mississippi are wonderful. We just got back from Yazoo City last Saturday, went to the downtown area. Isn't that, that drive so cool. down the hill the best view of the Delta when you mm-hmm. come down, mm-hmm. I think it's Broadway, and you come down into downtown? Yep. It's it's absolutely my favorite entrance, and a lot of people argue with me about that, but it's I just, love that. It's just great, and the yeah. people are just awesome. Yeah. I mean, just friendly. I mean, they'll even tell you we're the friendliest state in the nation. I agree. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Um, it's just wonderful to be able to, to shake hands and pat backs as we go out and do what we do to get lost in the communities. It's been a blast. Yeah, number one marketing t- thing about Mississippi, I can tell you that if people know you, they'll pay attention to you. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's like mm-hmm. they like to know. It's one thing I always love going out and people always ask me, what's Kevin Farrell like? You know, mm-hmm. you always hear mm-hmm. people always ask about that as well. Mm-hmm. All right. You're listening now. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey of MPB. I tell you what, we're back with MPB Executive Director Royal Ailes. Uh, Royal, this has been a great conversation, and I love the fact that um, you and Karen literally hit the road every weekend and get out. And because you know, like I said, if people don't know you, they don't pay attention to you. But if you get a chance to actually get to meet the people and get mm-hmm. to find out, we really are blessed in Mississippi with good folks. You really are. I mean, it, it's one of a kind. Yeah, really is. And you and you, and you you told me just second off the air that y'all love to go check out estate sales. Yeah, we do. That's our hobby on yeah. the weekends is estate sales. Now, y'all don't have them as much as they do in Oklahoma. Uh, oil money produces a lot of estate yeah. sales over there. So, But th- you do have some really good estate sales. I just bought two clocks at this last estate sale that, w- that we went to that um, I'm going to get working, and they're just you know very valuable clocks that no one knew what they had. So I found a little gold mine there. I just got to get them repaired. But the reality of it is, is those kinds of things, you do come across those kinds of things. And then we went to Yazoo City for another estate sale. And then we heard them talking about, you got to go downtown and go to the open market. So we said, well, let's just go down there. That's how we drifted downtown. And the way they painted the buildings down, it's just yeah. really, really awesome. So I met the owner of, of the open market there, and he's just a friendly fella. And, and we just had a great 
ten minute chat, getting to know each other, and I told him, I said, the only thing you got to bring here in your store because they had a lot of wallets there were LSU and Ole Miss and stuff. I said you got to get OU in here because we're coming to the SEC. He started laughing at me. He said, "Yeah, that's going to be a, a train wreck." I said, uh, uh, "Tell me about it. We'll never win another championship ever again." But you know, it's how what price is salvation for an extra million dollars in the budget? But obviously, that's that's what they're wanting to go after. So that's that's the kind of fun you can have. Yeah, you know the. Yazoo City and Natchez and Philadelphia, there's a handful of cities around Mississippi where it's like everybody you'll ever meet has a connection to those cities. Yeah. It's just incredible. Yazoo City is definitely one. You got Haley Barber, you got Willie Morris, you just Zig Ziglar. I mean, just so many. Jerry Clower. Jerry Clower. I grew up on Jerry Clower. Oh, yeah. 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 I I remember getting to meet Zig Ziglar and I remember Yazoo City, where's that at? And literally two years later, I lived, you know, here on that. Mm -hmm. So on that. Mm -hmm. You talk about family, of course, your daughters. And um, now, are they back? They didn't move with y'all, right? So no, no, they're we're empty nesters. Empty so nesters. hit the right time. Yeah, uh, my oldest daughter is married. She's been uh, they've been together for what seven, eight years. Um, my middle daughter, uh, my middle daughter, and youngest daughter, they're both collegiate golfers. Oh wow! And my middle daughter was thirty fourth in the nation at one point in time in her senior year, but didn't go on professionally. She she now is an HR. Um, uh, in the HR field with in in Tulsa with one of the big um, companies there, and my youngest daughter is still finishing up her college career, but has stopped golf because yeah. it wasn't a good experience for her where she was. Mm-hmm. So she's decided to get out and just get her degree and move on with life. But I've got some great daughters, um, great men in their lives. Um, very happy with with where they are. I'm a protective dad, you know. I'm, I'm very protective of my girls, and so, and and all the men know that, but. I'm, I'm I've been blessed to get what I have, so I can't complain. I okay. I, I got to back up here for a second. So, what have we learned today? Number one, your dad played with Jimmy Dean, which is yeah. incredibly cool. Yeah, uh, music obviously didn't get you, but uh, no. you were you were a good baseball player. But mm-hmm. your daughter's picked up the golf thing. Do you play golf? Uh, I'm a hack. Okay, how did I, that, where did that come from? Was there like some? My middle re- daughter, my, my youngest daughter, or, or I'm sorry, my oldest daughter never got into athletics. She was in, uh, she did the, uh, the the flag thing for band. Yeah, that was her thing. Middle daughter wanted to play softball, didn't do well. She's too short. Um, uh, she just didn't do good with basketball. She didn't do good with softball. We went through the the sports for the couple of summers, and finally, I said, "You get one more pick." And if you don't pick the, if you don't connect with this one, then you're going to band. <laughs> and she said, "Okay, I want to do golf." I said, "Pick another. That's too expensive." She goes, "No, I really want to try golf, Dad." So we got lucky. A neighbor in the in the neighborhood, we lived on a golf course there, and one of the older guys who who took a liking to the kids when we first moved in, he said, "I'll get her her first set. I'll find them at a garage sale. Got her tailor mades, cut them down to her size, at in the seventh grade and." She played. She whacked at it. She could hit. She could drive. By the time she was a junior in high school, she could drive the ball 300 yards. Wow. She was a driver. Yeah. And then, but she wasn't in love with it. She almost quit three or four times because she just, it's a grind. Golf yeah. is a grind. And she just wasn't in love with it. But somewhere in her junior year, toward the end, something clicked where she fell in love with it. In her senior year, she just took off. And she was winning tournaments left and right and just, doing well but and then colleges came and looked at her and she went to a small christian school in oklahoma to to do her college career she was very happy with it and 
she just kept clicking at that and became a very aggressive golfer. And it was, you know, she girls, I learned in collegiate golf, girls intimidate each other. It's not, you know, the men thing. They do intimidate the heck out of you. And um, she became, she was so intimidated her first two years, she was really struggled. She didn't know if she was going to survive. By the time she became a junior and but toward the end of it, she became the, the aggressor and the, and she intimidated everybody else. In her senior year, she owned the She, she owned, owned the it. space, yeah. She owned that course. Yeah. That was her course. And she was, um, she finished at the top. So she was very happy with her golf career. You know, I, as a parent myself, you know, I have three boys, and you know none of my kids do what I do, which is great. Um, but for you to be able to watch your daughters find something that they love mm-hmm. and be passionate for, there's no greater thrills. Right? Yeah, it really right. is great. So very, very happy with where my daughters yeah. are. Yeah, definitely. Your favorite moments so far from Mississippi? Some of the things that you've really enjoyed. Going out on the estate sales and meeting those people in yeah. those houses. Yeah. That to me is what connects me to the to the people of this that's state. awesome yeah i'm having a blast yeah my wife is not a people but she's an introvert so i'm the extrovert i'm always one going oh we gotta go over talk to this person over here she's like really so she'd be happy just sitting at the house and she's that way but i love it and i'm having a blast going out there and i call it politicking <laughs> it's just shaking hands and patting backs yeah. and letting everybody know who i am and i'm just having a blast doing it so it's been good. You talked about changing culture, and you you know you specifically mentioned your last job, and you were there for a long time. Talk about that a little bit, because I mean, you came into M- MPB, and you've kind of just been observing and everything. What are some of your favorite things that you've seen so far? And and we'll talk about your your kind of your current vi- and future vision for from here. Well, I have a good core. Yeah, I mean, this place has good, solid people. Uh, they know what they want to do. They know what they're doing. They do it well. Let's just start with the radio side. I mean, what Jason has been able to build as the manager of the radio group and then take it to the digital side with the podcasting and have almost 2 million downloads. I mean, we're ahead of the game in the system, in the public media space. We are ahead of the game. They're still trying to figure the podcasts out. We have figured it out. And we're doing it. And we're doing it. That, to me, is a game changer. Um, That is uh, ahead of the game. So I'm very happy with where we are on that. On the TV side, we, I'm very happy with the level of professionalism that we have. I already knew Mississippi Public TV was great in building documentaries because I knew them in the system. I've known Ronnie for 10 years, and I knew the system and what you guys had produced over those years. So I'm coming into a, a well-oiled machine already. I don't have to retool it. It's already there. I just need to redirect it so we can hit the marks that I want to hit while I'm the executive director here. And I that's not going to be a hard thing to do. Um, which is what I'm focused on. I yeah. mean, our big thing is making sure we're there when storms and disasters hit. That's that to me is a the number one mantra of our existence. Um, saving lives or helping to get information out to the folks that's that's key. And then the rest of it is changing lives, affecting lives, yeah. inputting in lives with education with our den. Uh, that's a big component for me because in Tulsa, when I was at RSU, we did. Uh, we were the only TV station in the country teaching a tribal language. We taught the Cherokee language over broadcast. And so I had a 100,000 people coming every day to the classroom that we had set up to learn their, their native tongue. And I know what how powerful this medium can be. And I really do believe we can have that same kind of effect here with education 
by f- being a gap filler because that's what you guys did from the very beginning in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You were a gap filler with MDE, and we need to get back to that and be that gap filler, and I think we can do that. We can help them. We're, not, we're only a conduit. That's all we ever will be is a conduit. We don't hire teachers and put teachers in the classroom. We're a conduit for the mm-hmm. system to help more kids because everybody, while they may not have high-speed Internet, they all have a television. I guarantee you that, and that's where we can be effective. I remember um, I was up at a party in Oxford and ran into Morgan Freeman, and I went, easy reader. You know, it's amazing with public broadcasting, you know, what a difference it made in my childhood and what it does for all these kids now that watch right. us. Yeah, right, definitely right, right. Now, our, our goal now is to keep them. Yeah. We, we got them early, and then they we drift them. They drift away. Yeah, we got to get them back, and our focus is is to try to do that. Is to get them back as young adults, and podcasting is a way to do that. That's right. Uh, getting digital is a mm-hmm. way to do that with our content. So we're focused on all that. Yeah, as I'm holding up my phone, you know, so basically because that's where they're getting their right. news and their information right. from. My so. kids will sit there, and I'll watch my 90 inch screen at the house, and they're they're on their phone. Sitting next, to, what are you doing? Why aren't you watching this big, beautiful TV? Dad, I'd rather watch this on the, on my little screen. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Makes no sense. None whatsoever, whatever. but that's okay. <laughs> well, any final thoughts? I mean, this has really been a great conversation. I really enjoy well, getting to know, the, I feel for, like I'm getting to know you a little bit better, too, so this has been fun. Well, thanks for allowing me to come on. Oh, sure. um, the, the thing for me is I am enjoying my time. I love the state. Yeah. I'm loving the people that I'm getting to know. I'm mission-driven. I am totally mission-driven. And my goal here is to get that imparted to my staff so we can be all about the mission and go about the work that we're supposed to be doing. I think the thing I'm taking away from this conversation, number one, that you've got like almost like a Forrest Gump kind of story that you've known everybody and met everybody. I was just – Jimmy Dean, that's still <laughs> – own the space. Own the space. And Miss MBB is going to own the space. We're go- oh, you better believe it. We're yeah. going to own it. We're going to own it. So the folks at the legislature knows we own it. Yeah. The folks in communities know that we own it. We we will own our space. I think at the end of the day, I don't think, you know, you're not in radio and you're not in television. You're not. And for me, I mean, I'm not just It's all about storytelling. Mm-hmm. And we have such a great story to tell here mm-hmm. in Mississippi. And we so, do. And, and I created pre- people to tell it. No, we definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, just incredible. So uh, any last thoughts? No, just thanks for allowing me for, for coming on here. And I just love, get, as I go out and about every weekend, get to know more people, shaking hands and patting backs. Just uh, don't be afraid to come up and say hello. What part of, what part of the state have you not been to you want to get to? Uh, probably, up, well, I've been to Oxford only briefly, but I want to get back up to Oxford and oh, go over there and see what that's all about. Yeah. Next week, we're going to have Miss Mississippi on. So um, there you go. It's kind of a natural segue. So <laughs> on that. Beauty and the Beast, right? I'm the Beast. Go. You said that. I did not. I just want to let you know in case uh, if I'm ever in any future trouble, that was your line, not mine. But I, I might have thought it, but I didn't I'm say it. I'm short and ugly. So, you know, I don't have any problem with that. He's <laughs> like me, the face for radio kind of thing. But um, this has been fantastic. Like I said, yeah, Northeast Mississippi is fantastic. It's very Appalachian. More hill. You'll you'll appreciate that. You'll feel at home uh, there as well. But yeah, Corinth is fantastic too. Get you a slug burger when you're up there too. <laughs> okay, that's a great conversation. Y'all got food at all the gas stations. That blows me away. You know what? And it's some of the best food in the state. Oh, the, there's a gas station next to my house has the best barbecue. Amen. I'm, I'm oh like, yeah, I'm there for the wings. I mean, we'll fry air. It's good stuff <laughs> as well. Hey, thank you. A fantastic show. Thank you for listening today. And I want to thank our special guest today, Royal Ales, for joining us. And if you'd like to hear this or any past episodes. 
You can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app on our MPB Public Media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think, MPB Think Radio uh, with episode and podcast produced by the incredible, amazing Jermaine Flood. Hey, stay tuned. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit is coming up next. And join us next Monday. Miss Mississippi will be in the house. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Y'all have a great week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.